is my desire that as we come here this morning, that, that we're moving towards a relationship with Jesus that, that is moving from just our lives end. Because, because so often we, we invite Jesus into our lives and, and we don't find our identity. And usually Jesus is the last place that we look. I'm just being honest. We, we invite Jesus Christ into, into our lives as Savior, but Lord doesn't come till many, many years later. Right? He saved me from my sin, and, and we really like this idea and, and praise him for it, so that he opens up the gates of heaven for us eternally, right? So that, that we're not limited to this life here and now. But to be honest, most of us, when we find Jesus as Savior, we're not really interested in heaven. Right? We're not really interested in, in what that's going to look like. We're, we're still filled with our own, our own accomplishments, our desires, our goals, our relationships here, Right? Uh, this is why billions of dollars are spent annually on marketing. All right? Because we have things to do. And, and typically, if it's your, your spiritual journey, if your spiritual journey is similar to mine, even though you meet Jesus, you kind of go down that path. Jesus rescues you, and, 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 and you're happy to know him, and you want to learn more about him. But kind of your life in him becoming full and complete is gradual. You, you, you kind of step into your own anxieties. You kind of step into your own goals. And, and, and no matter, this is so interesting to me, because no matter how hard you try, at some point, you're going to fail. I am in conversations right now with, with some of the most amazing uh, overachievers I've ever met. And, and I used to think of myself as an overachiever. I love to accomplish things. I love to learn things. I love to kind of, uh, I don't know, learn more, do more, hit my goals. If I don't, if I don't hit my goals during a day, I would be like so frustrated. But as I'm aging, there's things physically that you just still, you just can't do anymore. And so I've been meeting with this one individual who's just an overachiever and, and to watch now in his age, he, he, him getting so upset at what he just can't physically do anymore. You know, and, and this is all this is all the, the paradox, the conundrum of the human experience. Right. We don't want to be bound to the sinful world. We don't want to fail. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to be in these places where, where anxieties or these fears or these pains or these rejections actually begin to swell and, squel and squelch the hope that we have. And this is all evidence that we need Jesus. This is all evidence that we were actually designed and created for an eternity, a reality outside of what we're experiencing now. Because what I... What has been my biggest struggle in my life has been I have wanted the eternity, Genesis 3, sorry, Genesis 1, eternity past and eternity future to be eternity now. And most of my energy has always been invested in trying to fix things and trying to have everything. I, when I was a child, I would buy the same toy twice, one to play with and one so it would not ever get broken, one so that it would stay perfect. And this is kind of, this is kind of like the life that I want. You know, I, I want to be that individual who like takes that huge risk, that takes that huge adventure. But I also want that extreme safety, 
that promises I'm not going to get hurt. That promises I'm not going to lose anything. That promises that the future and the hope that I, I want is still completely, completely protected. And I want you to know that that only exists in eternity. That only exists in the work of Christ. And so as I pray, I want to give you an insight this morning. I want to give you, let me give you the words of a prophet Jeremiah. Because as we, as we, journey life together. And as we all have to make these individual decisions about, about, um, about how much of our lives we're going to give Jesus, about how much influence we're going to allow him, about how much we're going to trust him. Interestingly enough, when we actually take the time and make the choice to trust Jesus, it actually feels like risk. It actually feels like risk. You ever notice that Taking a leap of faith actually feels like risk. But I want you to know that Jesus is not risky. God is not a risky God. He's a protector. He's a securer. He's he's passionate in love for us. So the risk I want you to know isn't on God's side. It's it's on yours. It's on our side. This is what the Apostle Jeremiah writes. I think this is great advice for us this morning. This is Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. He goes on a little bit further. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruits of their devices. We've been speaking about holiness. And about two weeks ago, I've been, I had the opportunity to speak about um, how holiness brings life. And in speaking of how holiness brings life, I spoke and elaborated a little bit more how I hope that that holiness would bring more than life, but holiness would actually bring happiness. Right. And, and, and we just kind of spoke about this misunderstanding that we're not after happiness. Happiness is not the end of man, right? Holiness is the end of man. And, and so this week I want to take us a little bit further and I want to talk about how his presence brings holiness, but, and also how his holiness brings his presence. And I want to take us into the scriptures. Join me in, in Acts chapter 5. I just want to begin in Acts chapter 1. and Because and, I believe it kind of sets the, the, the stage for the life of Paul and, and, then, and this transition that is happening during the birth of the church. So in Acts chapter 1, if you remember, um, sorry, this is Acts chapter 5 verse 1. 
If you remember during the book of Acts, the, the Holy Spirit is coming upon the disciples and the gospel, the word of the word of, of Jesus is just spreading like wildfire. Like like the souls of people are 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 excited and waiting. The Messiah has come and he's fulfilled the promise that he declared would happen. And and, and people are they're they're selling their possessions. There is something supernaturally happening during this time that in my lifetime, I have not seen since at this scale. Because what I mean, what I mean at this scale is so many people selling things and, and laying down their lives one for another in such 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 grand masses that the Holy Spirit is not confined in any way. That these relationships are are, are just being healed constantly. It's it's funny. I have a friend who's constantly who constantly uses the imagery of the cross, right? When Jesus dies on the cross, you have the vertical beam and, and, and this represents Christ reconciling God to us. But often then we neglect the horizontal beam that when Christ came out of that tomb, he didn't just heal our relationship with God. He actually healed our relationship with one another. That we were actually designed to be in healthy, whole, trusting relationships with one another. Now I want you to know, I typically don't have a constant problem with God, but I do have a constant problem with my relationships. How about you? And the problem here is that because our relationships aren't healthy and whole, we tend to blame God. But something is happening here in Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 1, something is happening that these relationships, that this trust that the power of the Holy Spirit is just healing these relationships in such amazing and powerful ways. So much so that I'm going to point out an example to you. It's, and I'm sorry, this is a, this is a, a rated R story this morning that we like to skip. And if I'm being honest with you, I don't think it belongs in the scriptures. I just don't like it being there, just quite frankly. Because with all that God is doing, in Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit is going to give a reminder, a flashback, if you will, to only a bit earlier when the veil was not yet torn. Remember when the veil separated everyone from the Holy of Holies? Remember that those good old days, right? The, the, the high priest kind of kind of was the only one who can go in. And I just recently heard this story through Park and found it a little bit on the Internet. I first time I heard it, but they would say that, that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, Justin, I'll let you confirm. I haven't done any research on this. But when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they tie a rope around his leg. Because if he does a single thing wrong, we have to go get we have to go get like like second string. You know, like I wonder how many like high priests are like in waiting. You know, Bob's going in, you know, tie on the rope. Why are you tying on why are you tying, why are you tying on the rope? Have you seen Bob's grades? I don't think he's I don't think he's gonna make it five minutes in there. Right? You pull on to pull on the leg. And the whole the whole reason is if you do anything wrong in the presence of God, you just die. And they need to pull you out. You can't, you can't bring a stretcher, you know, first aid into the Holy of Holies. You know, so they got to drag him out, you know. And then, of course, there's, I don't know, now Bill is up. You know, you see him shaking. It's now Bill's time to go in. 
You know, you need to take your education real, really serious. No, please. I'm trying to make it humorous. I really have no idea. Right. But I think I think there have to be plan B. Right. I mean, we're, we're human after all. If High priest A, you know, fails at the task. We still need to we need still need, you know, sins of the people to be forgiven. You know, I'm just thinking a bad day at work. You know, what does the sign say? You know, how many days since our last incident? You know, and, and, and so when Christ died, the veil tore. The veil of the Holy of Holies tore. Now, now I talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago also. Just this whole idea. I just imagine the high priest trying to like hold it together. You know, just trying to be like, we can't, you know, everyone close your eyes. We can't, this can't be happening. Right? That the very individuals who are standing in the gap, very going into the presence of God and standing in the gap between you and me, it was actually the one who was preventing God from actually coming to us. You ever sometimes perceive the church to be this way? I know the world certainly makes the church out to look that way. But this is not the case. And so in this moment, we're getting a flashback to that moment. And and here's the story. Most of you know it. uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property because they are so swept up in what what Jesus is doing. And with with his wife's knowledge, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the some of the proceeds and bought and brought only a part of it and laid it out at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not? remain yours your own and after it was sold was it not at your disposal why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart you have not lied to us but you've lied to god and when ananias heard this these words he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came among all those who heard it and the young man rose and wrapped him up and they carried him out and then verse seven after an interval of about three hours his wife came in not knowing what had happened and peter said to her tell me whether you sold the land for so much as she said yes for so much and but peter said to her how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the lord behold the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out immediately and she fell down and she breathed her last when the young men came in they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. When we're talking about the presence of God bringing holiness, the presence of God through Jesus bringing holiness, I, I want to start here. I want to declare that the holiness of God is just terrifying. I mean, this, to me, the, why I don't think Acts chapter 5 should, should be here because it's, it's, if you kind of think about how, how history is changing, uh, kind of the, the grown-up word in, in theology would be the, the dispensation, just kind of the changing of these times. The dispensation of grace has now been ushered in. But this is, not, this is not one of those moments. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit still doing this today? When you arrive here next week at, at Living Faith, Here's what you can expect the Holy Spirit to be doing, right? 
Any any little trick that you bring with you, secret as may be, you just keep as a little secret between you from the Lord. Uh, we're just going to line up a bunch of blankets, right, and have a team to kind of drag you out. Can you imagine if this is how the church functioned nowadays, right? The moment, the fact that this is happening in this moment is is so surreal to me. And, and it's not, right? This is not, this is, for me, I believe this is happening because the church is growing so fast right now. And because what is happening in this moment is the power and the presence of God. There's holiness is just swelling. Holiness is just overflowing. And, and to me, when I look at what's happening, it seems to me as, as the Lord just doesn't, it's not yet time to allow the inhibition of this to happen. If we look back at, there's this great comparison I like to make. You look, go back to Genesis 11. Remember when the masses of people are coming together to build this great tower of Babel, right? They're understanding each other. It's like in one spirit, they're building this tower, you know, of greatness to themselves. And God comes and disperses them and confuses their language. Well, the opposite is happening right now. The power of God through the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is just overwhelming. His holiness is just, is just covering people. You have high priests everywhere being ushered into the very presence of God. And, and it's these two individuals who unfortunately are tempted in this time to kind of manipulate the timing and situation for themselves. Now, I do want to, I want to be very clear about something. I actually believe that one day Ananias and Sapphira, I think we'll get to interview them. I think right now that I think right now that they're in a in a in a in a state of perfection in eternity, waiting for all to be reconciled and made well. Why do I believe that? Why? Because I think during this time they were authentically touched and moved by the work of Christ on the cross. They just had a lot more than everyone else. They just had a lot more wealth. They had a lot more to lose. The, the risk of following Jesus was just a little bit too great, which seems to mimic quite closely to me, those of us who basically live in the Western world today. We have so much. We have so much to lose. So, so we kind of add Jesus. So it's, I understand, I do believe that that the work of Christ on the cross certainly, certainly healed them of their sins. They just didn't understand in this time, in this moment, the, how essential it is that we don't just receive his forgiveness, but we also receive his invitation to move into holiness with his presence, through his presence. See, and this is, this is, this is just it. Although Ananias, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira had met Jesus, they had not embraced the presence of Jesus. So we need to understand that the holiness of God is, a, is an absolutely terrifying thing. And we need to keep it terrifying. Well, sorry. We don't need, we don't, we don't need to make it a terrifying thing. It is a terrifying thing. All right? So we don't need to be scared. We don't need to be, what we need to do is we need to understand and appreciate the glory of God. Because in God's presence, the scriptures say that you will just fall to your knees. 
every knee will bow. And this is because in the presence of God, there's nothing, there's not enough strength in our humanity to hold us. Your pride will fail. Your intellect will fail. Your finances will not be enough. And if you do not know Jesus, if his presence has not become, if you've not been made aware of his presence, I want you to know it will be the most terrifying moment of your life. And so we need to respect it. We need to understand. Now, as followers of Jesus, this is different. This is different. But the reason why I point out that it's important that we recognize this, because sometimes when something loses its power, it loses our attention. When it loses our attention, we no longer respect it. We no longer honor it. Right. And, and, And no matter right one thing one transition that we go through in our lives is is and this is common to all of us we find jesus as our lord and savior and and as the the rescuer rescuer of of our sin he forgives us of our sin but if we're not careful and, and to be honest with you sometimes even before we find jesus we don't really connect to sin very well anymore in our lives. It's kind of like, well, you know, I mean, if you're living in the same world that, I, that I'm living in, right? Lies, dishonesty, deception, you know, none of this matters. What really matters is just what's right for you. And it doesn't matter who you take it from. It doesn't matter, right? There's, and, and, and even consequences in our world are fading away. So you can just do what you want, and 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 your rights, right? And this is what it says in the Old Testament. In those days, everyone did what seemed right to them, right? And, and so we begin to lose perspective that sin is a really terrifying thing. Sin is a really terrifying thing, and we recognize that it's sin that is a terrifying thing. We recognize. He is the one that makes us whole. Now, fast forward me just a little bit. Because we're going to look at the transition of, we're going to look at the introduction of a couple of new characters here in the Acts story. And this is over in, in Acts chapter 7. Because we're going to see some, some other tremendous, tremendous moments here. Stephen is going gonna, is gonna to arise out of the these moments of overflowing holiness. And even though Ananias and Sapphira, even though this moment happens and and, and the holiness of God is once is is highlighted to be revered and, and and what is a reminder of what's actually happening in these moments, things are about to get a lot more some would say intense, some would say beautiful, some would say exciting. Right. It's really however you want to look at it, because the story that I'm going to share with you is, is going to set off through fear. It's going to set off the the one of the most expansive movements of the gospel ever in history. Right. And let me read this to you. So, so you know, the story and beginning in Acts chapter seven, Stephen, this uh, this apostle is just uh, if we're going to lay set out. We're going to lay out like the spectrum 
of people who are stepping into the presence of God, stepping into the presence through the work of Christ in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And you have Ananias on uh, Ananias and Sapphira on one side. And on the other side, we have this young man named Stephen, who is just, he cannot contain on any level what Jesus is doing in his life. So he just starts Sharing, they, it says here in Acts 7, 1, you don't need to pull this up, but it says the high priest says to him, are these things true? And so Stephen says, I'm not going to read this. You can read it for yourself on and on and on. He goes through a whole biblical history of who Jesus is. He gives testimony completely to who, to the work of Christ. And this is such, I mean, he is just so excited and overwhelmed about who Jesus is, about what Jesus is doing right now here and in the church. That is going to get him into a lot of trouble. This is Acts 7, verse 54. Lisa, you can bring this up. Acts 7, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Wow. That's a phrase we need to bring back. I'm grinding my teeth at you. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, full of holiness, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen just shared, he shared the gospel in a way that, that his perspective was different. Right. It, it, most most nowadays, most of us, we share our faith. We share our faith through testimony, what Jesus has done through our lives and, and the way that he's working in our lives or perhaps where he's met us and healed us. And, and we share from a, from a perspective, almost almost from our past experience. This brought us to this moment of understanding. But Stephen, in this moment, and, and I'm just going to call it in this moment of, of holy imagination, I think it's much more than that, but I'm just going to leave it in this moment of holy imagination. He is, he is declaring the power and work of Jesus with Jesus right there. He sees him, right? He's looking up. He is so distracted. He has no idea how angry everyone around him is getting. I mean, talk about struggling to read a room, right? He just keeps on talking to the most non-receptive audience in the world. You know, you can kind of, if there's anyone next to him, other than his friends next to him, they're probably nudging him. Uh, you know, people are like getting out their like weapons, you know, their clubs are like, uh, hey, you know, and he just goes on and on. He's just so consumed, right? By being in the presence and the holiness of God himself. And they're just getting angrier and angrier and anger, angrier. Verse 56. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out in a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. He called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen is so, I want you to know something. When you look at the scriptures, 
we have these individuals, these, these, these miraculous, these astounding moments in history that people never died, right? We have Enoch. It just says, scripture just says that he was just caught up with the Lord, right? We have Elijah, who, who, and I think I'm getting this right, if I recall, a chariot just comes by and just sweeps him up, right? And they, and they never experienced death. I want to give you a third person, Stephen. Stephen has, does not, he has no idea that he's dying. He has no idea that he's transitioning. He's just captured by the holiness of God and swept from this life into the next. Such a profound moment taking place here because he's so consumed by the holiness of God. And this is what I want to point about holiness because there's this whole different perspective happening in this moment. See, we judge life by the number of days we live. God judges life in measures of holiness. Stephen knew this. Stephen's not, Stephen's not in this place. He's totally fulfilled by the holiness and the presence of God. He's not pondering what he needs to do to conclude his day. He's not bound by what his goals and tasks are tomorrow. He's literally in the presence of God, overwhelmed by the presence of God, and living in the presence of God and does not leave that place wherever it takes him. The confusion is those of us who are on watching. Stephen died today. Well, how did he die? Well, he was sharing the good news about Jesus. And what's going to happen is this individual Saul, which we know is going to become Paul. People are going to become terrified of this moment. And even in the realities of this, of God's people being terrified, God is going to use this to spread the gospel throughout the land. People are going to run away, but they're going to actually run away and take the holiness of God with them. And the church is going to grow again. And here what Paul is, what Saul is trying to stop, he actually speeds up. All because of the holiness that Stephen is willing to step into. Holiness is not, sorry, life is not measured by the, the number of days we live. Life is measured by the measure of fullness that we step into through his holiness. So Saul, as we know, becomes extremely angry, right? And I just want to walk through just a little bit more of his, of his story. Saul becomes extremely angry. And he makes it his task, as you saw in the video. He is going to squash this movement. He is the pious of them all. He is that high priest. He is the one who sets himself as judge as who is holy, who is righteous. And anyone who dares take upon this image, this idea, or this holiness through Christ, he is going to squash, he's going to terminate, he's going to kill. This is not Gamaliel, I believe his name is, but a few chapters earlier says, ah, just let them go. If this is, if this is of man, it's just going to, it's going to come to nothing. Remember this guy, he tried something and it, it didn't work, right? This guy tried, it didn't work. So, you know, just let him go. If it's of God, how are you going to stop it? Saul is not of this argument. 
He is not at this perspective. He's like, oh, yeah, watch me. You know, this like very, this very like uh, disturbing music starts to play in the background, you know, ties a headband around, you know, gets his, gets his, gets his gear in his army. And he sets out to go and eliminate this church from, uh, from expanding. Saul actually set out to stop the holiness of God of spreading throughout his people. Now, let me try to explain how well that works. How many of you, you don't, please don't raise your hands, but how many of you have had COVID? We, were, we weren't able to stop COVID. Do you think you can stop the holiness of God from spreading throughout the world? Do you think you can stop the work of Christ from spreading throughout the world? The whole strategy of stopping COVID from spreading across the world is to separate everyone from one another. Stay as far away as possible. And yet Christ died on the cross to bring us together. So Saul is trying to separate people, move them apart from people, but the work of Christ is bringing people together. And as they're coming together, the presence of God is spreading. The holiness is, of God is spreading. Eternity is coming and landing right here, right now among his people. And as we all know the story, Saul's heading off to Damascus. And a, a brief re, retelling is, uh, right, he, he has an encounter. He encounters God himself, right? He encounters Jesus. And he's blinded by the presence of God, right? He completely gets his attention, that his sight doesn't return. And, and it works. It gets his attention. So much so that he's blind for three days. And, and, and God sends, he sends Ananias to explain to him exactly what's happening. This is in, in Acts chapter 9. And I'll just, I'll just read this, right? Let's turn to Acts chapter 9. And this is in verse 4. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. I, as much as I imagine, as much as I want to take poetic license, I can't explain to you what Paul's going through in this moment. Have you ever been in that moment in, in your life where like your entire operating system, what I mean by operating system, like the things that you think you knew, yeah. right? The things you trusted, the things that you believed in just all got wiped out from under you. I mean, Saul's on a mission and it's fueled by hatred. Now he meets Jesus. Is he, is he, is he terrified? Is he afraid? Is he, is he overwhelmed? Is he, he can't see, and the scriptures don't really tell us what he's experiencing this moment. But what we do know is this life-changing, right? Life-changing. I mean, he's going door to door, <coughs> killing people. And all of a sudden he meets the person face to face, Jesus. 
who who he's just if anyone's ever has ever, ever been confused. Paul is in this moment of 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 beginning beginning to understand the presence of God in the same way that Stephen did. I mean, do you see the the poetic irony in, in all of it that, that Paul's actually, you know, it, 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 Stephen is so caught up in this moment of the holiness of God, and and the very one who is who is approving of this and even even being the fuel behind it is actually the one who's going to become the bearer of it. And the holiness of God is going to transform Saul's life in such a powerful way. It's going to change everything. It's going to change the trajectory of the church. It's going to, it's going to change everything. But I just want to highlight here my last point, and it's this. Life in Christ isn't free. It's been paid for. It's been paid for by Christ. But it's not free. So, so, so sometimes we speak of, of the gospel being this free gift. But I want you to know it's not free. That when we receive it, it it's actually going to be, it's actually going to cost us everything. And this is what Paul is going to begin to understand. So Paul comes and, and he discovers Jesus as his, as his savior. And, and, and he's going to begin this journey of making him Lord. And, and, and here's the parts that we never speak about. Paul's going to disappear for three years. He's, this is not documented well, but we know in Galatians chapter one, he speaks about this. Three years, he's going to go to Arabia and, then, and he's just going to spend time with God. I, I, I think, and I have some clues that kind of, the kind of, uh, I think I can use to support this, but I think he did start telling people about what, about Jesus and what Jesus has done in his life. And, 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 but he was so untrustworthy. So, so, I mean, this is the same guy who's so filled with anger and hatred. And then now he's trying to bring his message is not received. He's not able to be used by God in this moment. And I think in his wisdom, he just understands that he needs to go and learn about who he is and who Jesus is and who he is in Jesus. And he goes and he's, he's gone for three years. Sometimes in our own spiritual journey, why is it that, that, that we don't allow this time in our lives to just go and seek Jesus? We just try to pick up our lives right where we left off instead of going through years of just saying, I'm just going to completely lay my life down to the Lord. See, this is one of those biggest risks. I had a life. I was going to do this and I was going to do this and I was going to do this. Jesus, you've just interrupted my life. But do I love, am I so impressed with your presence enough that I'm going to lay down everything that I have to move towards you, to understand you, to learn about how much you love me? See, it's not free. Following Jesus is going to cost us everything. Jesus said, take up your cross. Unless you take up your cross and follow me. Jesus didn't say, here, I want you to know that I'm going to rescue you from your sins and go live the life that you want. But, but, and his presence brings holiness and his holiness brings presence. When we step into his presence, his holiness is going to give us the life that we've dreamed of. 
Everything that you were desiring for your life, it's just less. It's just less. In his holiness, through his presence, we will discover and receive the life that only he dreamed for us. I don't, and this is really, really foolish because I'm starting to get older. Finances has never really been much of a concern in my life. And we've lived paycheck to paycheck for decades now, right? But it's never, it's never been, you know, and sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, you're an idiot. Right? Like, like how in the world, you know, those of you who hear me talk about raising my son, if you ask my son, those of you who are, who are joining us today, you ask my son about how he's being raised, he'll tell you, he's like, oh, I'm an experiment, (laughs) you know, because we're taking the risk to trust Jesus in raising him. You know, to to invest, you know, in the story that I was sharing earlier, overnight, um, my, I spend an unbelievable amount of less time with my son than I ever have. He's only 10, but it's almost like he moved out already. All of his relationships are now with these other boys. I didn't even know. I believe that pouring into him was essential for those, for those first 10 years, but I didn't know that I was going to lose my direct and heavy influence overnight. I didn't know. And so when Paul goes to Arabia, what he's doing is he's going to spend as many years as it takes to just be with dad. Wow. Because he doesn't know what his future is going to be about. He doesn't know if there's going to be a future. If you've spent three years anywhere, I want you to know it becomes more, you become more hopeless when you do hopeful. Like when am I, when's this going to be over? Right. When, when am I going to actually get to do something? Right. I can't seem to get the job that I want. I can't seem when, 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 when is this going to be, when is this going to end? And I want you to know at the end here of three years, Saul, it says in, I believe in, in 9, in, in, in Acts 9, he comes back. He comes back and he meets with the spiritual community. He meets with the Christians. And you know what? So Barnabas brings him in. You know the conversation that they have? Barnabas has to argue that Saul's different. Barnabas has to argue that Saul is now Paul. That now he loves Jesus. He met Jesus. And, and, and there are still so many people angry with Saul, that the, the, the leaders in, at this time in Jerusalem, you know what they say? There seems to be evidence that they believe him. They believe that Jesus has rescued Saul, and, 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 he's, and he's rescued and, and, and loved by Jesus and one of us. But you know what they say? You're, you're still, so many people are seeking your life. Your life is in danger. They send him back to Tarsus. Three years, he's in Arabia getting to know the Lord. He comes to Jerusalem thinking maybe, maybe God's going to now use him for something. And the very people who, who he's hoping to send him in, to, I don't know, at least, you know, just let him go get, let him go get your coffee, right? Let's go to the church. Maybe they'll hire me to get lunch. Maybe they'll hire me to get coffee. You know, maybe I can join a couple prayer meetings. They're just like, it's just too dangerous. Go back to Tarsus. Now, in the video, they said 13 years. Uh, some scholars lower it to about six more. But Saul is going to be 
off the the missionary spiritual grid for another six to it looks like somewhere about 13 years total. So <laughs> another, I don't know my math, you know, another five to 10 years, he's going to be off the spiritual grid. I think that's just because before any of us actually step in to the work of God, we need to fully embrace his presence and his holiness until each and every one of us are happy and grateful and just Pleased by the work of Christ and fulfilled by the work of Christ alone, then there's nothing that we're ever, ever going to do that will fill that. If you're not enough in the presence of Jesus, then you're not going to be enough outside the presence of Jesus. And this is what I think God was doing in the work of, in the work of Saul and the work of Paul's life. He was coming to grips that even if even if he never accomplished anything great for the kingdom, he was a child of God. Even if he never was able to take those big human risks, right, and, and go on the adventure, which we know Saul is your typical overachiever, right? He wants to do something. I'm convinced that he settled so into the presence of God, and that's what prepared him. Because in the presence of God, just like Stephen, he could no longer keep his mouth shut. He could no longer not speak of the glory of God. And so he starts speaking about the glory of God where he is. We have this story in the scriptures in Damascus. He starts speaking about the glory of God. And so many people are angered at him in the same way that he was angered at Stephen. That he gets in a basket and they lower him out to save his life. And meanwhile, in Acts chapter 11, I won't read this, but we'll conclude here. No, I will read it, and we'll conclude here. Acts chapter 11, because I think this is one of the most exciting times. Not about the life of Saul, not about the life of Paul, but about the presence and the holiness of a living God. This is going to be in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Thinking about the presence and the holiness of God. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, who was glad and exhorted them and they, to remain faithful to the Lord. But steadfast purpose, steadfast purpose what? To the gospel? Steadfast purpose to Christ? Steadfast purpose to the holiness of God and his faithfulness. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit full of this holiness and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in this place, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians 
no matter how many years are passing in your life, I want you to know, I want you to be reminded that God has a calling in your life. No matter what hardship you weather, no matter how silent it seems, no, no, no matter how much that hopelessness or that fear drifts in, the thing that can never be stolen from any of us is the presence and the holiness of God, which he invites us into every single day, every single moment. And it's from that place that, we, that life overflows and we step into the life that he has for us. It's not the other way around. We don't meet Jesus and then go and, and build a life for ourselves that's pleasing to him. We meet Jesus and we live in his presence and that is pleasing to him. And then, he, that, and then his holiness overflows through our lives. Mm-hmm. Barnabas goes to get Saul. 10 to 13 years after he experiences Jesus on the road to, to Damascus. How many of you remember what you were doing 10 to 13 years ago? Some of us were in darker times. Some of us had the, those moments years ago that, that we hold on to, and that's actually why our lives are changed. Because of those encouraging words that Barnabas gave, hold and remain true to the holiness and the presence of God. And he promises, my friends, there is no risk. This is a trusting your life to Jesus. I want you to know is a low risk venture because Christ has already done the work. The work's not on Jesus end. The work is on our end to remain to hold and remain faithful. The work that he has done. He promises that he is going to bring it to completion. He promises that he's going to bring it to completion in our lives. Amen.